All right, so I'm excited to uh, talk to our guest today, Stephen King. Stephen King is the CEO of Growth Force, and uh, going to absolutely drop some, some growth nuggets on you guys today. So I'm excited to have him in the room with us. Stephen King, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Joe. Absolutely. So, you know, give us a give us your quick background, your, your I guess your elevator pitch of uh, Growth Force, and, and tell us a little bit about what that's about. Sure. We're an outsourced accounting department. We do controller management accounting and bookkeeping services for companies who use QuickBooks, typically two to 20 million in revenue. We specialize in service businesses and nonprofits, interestingly enough. I come from uh, 35 years of being a CPA, but when I got to be a CFO of a $20 million organization, I realized that the traditional CPA looks backwards and what a real valuable management account helps you make data-driven decisions. And so for the last 30, 25 years, I've been focusing on how do you help small businesses grow, not just the top line, but the bottom line, because it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep that matters. Mm. I love that. I tell you what, because we were talking about this uh, ahead of time, and I'm not going to mention the name now that I remember the name. Um, I'll tell you that after we hit the, uh, hit the record button again. Um, but the funny thing is that one of the reasons I stopped using the virtual the bookkeeping accounting company that I had been using five, six years ago uh, was that, that purpose, right? We could not get a forward look at where we were going. It was always a reverse engineer of what had happened. And by the time we picked up the pieces, it was like, man, you know, we're chasing our tail. So tell me more about that forward thinking that, that, that analytical look at the bottom line or trying to get ahead of that curve? You have to have the accurate historical data, right? So it starts there. You got to set up the system so you know what the above the line costs are versus below the line. And, and what does that mean? The above the line, well, first off, why is that important, right? That's important because it shows you your unit economics. It shows you the profitability on the work that you do. Mm. And, you, and you get that by separating out those above the line costs. Those are all the direct costs the costs that the customer directly paid for. It's mm. the direct labor, right? The labor that you your income. And it's your direct materials, the, the stuff you had to buy in order to earn that income. And the combination of those two is in what they call cost of goods sold, right? So your income minus the cost to earn the income is your gross profit margin. And that to me is the most important data of any financial statement. It's the gross profit margin as a percentage. It's why the sharks on Shark Tank, right? They always ask after they hear the, the origin story, you know, how much do you sell it for and what does it cost you fully landed? They're doing a percentage calculation in their brain and say, okay, this is a good business. We've got 48% margins. We can actually make some money here if we scale it. And once you've got the accurate historical data, then it's, now it's a, a function of what are, what, what are the scenarios that drive your profits? And looking forward about what if one of three things happens. There's only three drivers to profits. You can grow your top line. Unfortunately, most business owners think that growing the top line will translate to growing the bottom line. And in fact, the opposite usually happens, right? Absolutely. If you grow yep. too fast, you know, you need, you start burning up uh, resources to manage that growth. But if you grow the top line while growing your gross profit margin percentage, then the rest is history. Now, all of a sudden, you can see a, a profound impact on the bottom line just by tweaking your pricing, by understanding, you know, what is, the, what is it that you, the profit you want to make by the end of the year and work backwards from there to figure out how much do you need to price each unit, each product, each service in order to hit that target. 
And then the last one is, so top line, mm-hmm. above the line for the gross profit. And then the last way to increase profits is reduce your below the line cost, your overhead. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you grow the top line, but you're continuing to add accountants and paying out sales commissions and, you know, space and all the other stuff that goes with it, all that extra revenue you bring in just goes out the door. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love this conversation because it hits home for me so hard. It's a, it's a scenario that I went through years ago and I know for so many businesses in their scaling trajectory, they're going to go through at some, if they haven't already, what would you recommend? Um, and, and I'll give you a quick, quick scenario for us. It was growth. We, we, I was in the house flipping business for a long time and, and, you know, we used to look back and say, man, uh, when I went from 20 to 40 to 60, we eventually got to almost 100 houses a year. And I would look back and say, man, I think when we were doing 40 houses a year, we're making more money than when we did 90. You know, and for, for all the reasons that you just named there, you know, we were smaller, we were, we, we were, we were more nimble. We, we actually flipped them faster because we had, you know, we were able to make decisions quicker and, you know, we were able to market them quicker. And, you know, but you start to lose control at some points, you know, things like that. Is there a point at which, you recommend a business is it a, is it a monetary or is it a size is it an employee scale that that you know people start to dive deep into what you're talking about or hire a firm like yours to get involved to start paying attention to these numbers well it starts to get yes uh, the the simple answer is yes um when you're when you get to about a million or two million in revenue and you can't see everything that's going on in the business anymore, right? You know, when you were flipping 20 houses, you were involved in all the details, right? In the purchasing, in the selling price, in the labor, you know, you were like, you knew exactly how to manage it. Once you get to about 2 million in revenue seems to be the point where you got to put the infrastructure in place to have data to make decisions. Because Mm -hmm. if you're, if you're got, if you're empowering other people to make pricing decisions or to go out and do purchasing of materials or hiring and firing, if you can't see it all, then the only way you can do it is to see the data. And, mm. and you, can't, you can't manage what you don't measure. And so you need that financial management system to be able to compensate for the fact that the organization now has expanded. You've delegated, you've empowered others to make decisions, but invariably they may not be as good as you. And you've got to be able to go back and say, look, let's look at this last job. Let's look at this last house we just flipped. We're usually getting a 48% margin, right? We want to get to 50%, but you had 40%, 35%. Why? Because you went to Home Depot and bought the materials instead of the lumberyard, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. You just, you, you start to dig into the data to tell you what's, why is your margin erosion? And I think gross profit margin percentage is the single most important number, mm. you know, a, the technically contribution margin is the CFO's term for the single most important number. Why is that margin so important? Because you, your employees can do a lot to, to help you increase your, your margins. They can't do a lot to lower your overhead, right? It's fixed usually. You're, you're, nobody's going to decide whether or not to hire another accountant or a sales rep. Mm-hmm. But, but the employees who are working out in the field, working on your jobs can can look and say, okay, I know what the margin needs to be. I know what the scope of work on this needs. I know what the budget is. And once you start getting outside the scope or, or your budget uh, is, you know, you start exceeding your budget, then if you there, 
if you they know what the goals are and why increasing the margin is good for them, then you're going to start getting them to act like owners. Hey, you know what? I saw that the cost of these materials at Home Depot was too high. So I want to find another vendor. Is that okay? <laughs> that's that's really you know why you do this is sure. to get to, to get the data into the hands of the decision makers. Love it. Love it. And so that being said, now you have some, uh, let's say you have some people who are, you know, in that, in that world where they're having difficulty. How do we, how do we dig them out of it? Right. How do we, you know, what are the, what are the, you know, the, the, the red flags I would say, you know, of, Hey, you know what, uh, uh Steven, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I need you or not. Right. You know, yeah. I don't know if I, you, you know what I'm saying? Cause you're dealing with folks that are in that situation. Right. Yeah. It starts with really understanding the concept of unit economics, right? Mm -hmm. A unit is whatever appears on your invoice. If you're selling a house, okay, here's the, the unit is the house. If you're, if you're uh, doing a project, the unit is the milestones on the projects. If you're billing by the hour, your unit is the hour. If you're manufacturing a widget, whatever it is, the unit is what's on the invoice. And you need to understand the cost to deliver that, all those above the line costs, the fully loaded labor, and most people make a mistake just looking at salaries and taxes. You got another 25, 30% of your cost in, in 401k, health insurance, recruiting, training. I mean, you really need to look at the full cost of that labor and the real cost of the materials, especially right now when inflation is real, and compare that to the revenue that you earn. Right, unit mm -hmm. economics is a fancy word for saying how much did you bring in and how much did it cost you, right? Yeah. At yeah. at the unit level, at the at the house, at the widget, at the billable hour or the job, and then you study the past to help you predict the future. Hmm. Once you understand that profitability, you can start to see okay, which of our jobs are not covering their share of the overhead, and therefore they're not going to generate a profit. And then what's the difference between those and the and the ones that are covering mm -hmm. their share of the event. They are hitting our target profit. What, yeah. we what we suggest you do is you start with profits first. And this is an important concept. If you want to increase the bottom line, what you want to do is you want to say, okay, how much money do we want to make at the end of the year? Let's say we want to do a million dollars, right? If we've got a thousand jobs at the end of a year, that means that we need to make $1,000 profit on each job. And that's the first step is how much profit do I need to make? Like, so let's say you had a hundred houses, right? I'm going to use your example and a yep. million and a million dollars of profit. Okay. You need to make $10,000 profit per house and you start there. Now pricing yep. starts there. And then you work your way up the income statement to figure out what the price needs to be. The next step would be how much overhead have you got? You know, we've got a company that $3.5 million in overhead. And if they had a hundred jobs, that means they've got to get $35,000 of profit margin to cover the overhead. And mm. then another $10,000 of profit margin to generate the target profit. So before you start the job, you know, I need 45K just to get my number for this to make sense. Yeah. And what most people do is they do pricing, which is the single most important decision any business will make, pricing your jobs, pricing your houses in your case. And most people say, okay, I gotta, I'm really going to look at what the market is. I'm going to look at what the, 
what the, the industry averages are. And the problem with that is that not every business in your industry has the same overhead structure. Not every business in your industry has the same profit targets. I've seen two competitors, I've studied this, I'm a data junkie. I've looked at what's the difference in the companies that are wildly successful and those that struggle to provide, to survive. And one business, he's like, you know, I, I'm happy with five or 10% profit. Why? Because, you know, I'm, I'm getting, I'm taking home a $200,000 salary and then I get to make another 150, 200. Whereas same industry, same customer, same city, same products and services, I was like, no, I want to sell this business. And in order to get the highest valuation, I need 15 to 20% to the bottom line. And so the pricing becomes a function of your overhead and your profit target. And then it's sales's job to be able to explain why you're worth more. What's the value that you'd bring to the table? Mm. There's so many nuggets that you just dropped there that, I mean, like this is one of those pen and notepad type, uh, type <laughs> interviews for a lot of business owners. I mean, it's so realistic too. And you know, the truth is that I think for a lot of small business owners, there, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of ego and it's a lot of you know just kind of kind of run and gun, right? I mean, it, you know, it's there's not a lot of analytics into it, you know. There there's a lot of you know um, pricing and you know kind of had you know go go as you go go with the lowest bid, right? Go with the lowest you know, uh, just do it as cheap as you can, right? And I think that the other problem is when you start to make money, I've said this for years, um, a lot of business owners try to solve their problems with money, right? That, you know, they think they can throw money at it. We'll have more, you'll just get more employees. We'll get more team. We'll get more whatever. And in other words, that that ends up increasing your, your overhead, you know, over the course of time. It's also going to shrink your margins too. And so you, you end up, you know, backing yourself into a place where you're increasing your, your total revenue, but your margins keep shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. So, you know, I think that um, it's important. Everything you're saying is super important, but it's very interesting um, to hear it from the perspective um, that you're saying instead of being in the shoes of, of the entrepreneur. Um, you know, again, I was through this 10 years ago. So it's just, a, it's a different scenario standing back and watching it today and listening to you talk about it. It's pretty fun. Cool. <laughs> so let's talk about um, how you do this through nonprofits and how you'd help generate nonprofit. Oh, I'm passionate. That's a about whole this. different animal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's very similar though. Nonprofits need to be run like well-run for-profits. Mm -hmm. The only difference is you reinvest the profits back into the missions to create more outcomes. I got really fortunate. I was at Ernst and Young. I was a manager of accounting system design. I was there seven years, and I told them I want to work on nonprofits. And, you know, my, my, I come in, I'm, I'm an Irish Catholic from Queens. My family was always volunteering. The Knights of Columbus were our best friends, you know. And my partner put me on the New York City subway system. It was in Manhattan. It was where my, I was in the New York office. And I was like, oh, my God, this is a nonprofit, but not what I was thinking. So I, I gave notice, and I started my own CPA firm. And two weeks before I left, I gave a couple of months notice. I got a call. This is a God thing. I got a call from a partner saying, hey, Amnesty International just hired us as their auditor and they need a new accounting system because they grew 300% in the last year. Bruce Springsteen and Peter Gabriel and Sting and you two just finished this worldwide Human Rights Now tour on <laughs> MTV and the organization has exploded and they want, to, they want us to come in. Can you help them? The short version of the answer is I said to the partner, do you realize that my office is filled with amnesty posters? I've been a volunteer here for years. I, I know all the program people. I coordinate all the students across the New York tri-state area. It's like, holy cow, no. I ended up becoming the CFO of Amnesty International. Three weeks after that 
concert tour ended and and amnesty wow. grew from six million in revenue to 18 million overnight thank you you too and <laughs> and um i learned that it's harder to run a nonprofit than it is to run a for-profit it's way harder sure there's a lot there's a lot fewer levers that you have to pull you can't just hire a salesperson and decide to go promote a webinar and bring in money you're waiting for donations you know, for foundations to have their grant schedules, for individuals to write a check. Sure. I also learned that because I did, I was CFO for four years, and then I became the director of development. I was responsible mm. for raising what then was $20 million a year. And I loved it. I learned so much there. But what I realized is that numbers have to tell a story in a nonprofit. You have to be able to show the donor the tangible result of their gift. Mm. Mm. You can show them the return on investment from if they make a contributions, what outcomes happen from that contribution? Mm. Just like in a for-profit, if you're going to invest in a marketing campaign, you got to measure the ROI. But in nonprofits, it's all about measuring the effectiveness of the money you spend. And so what we do is we take, we do the same thing as we do for service businesses. We look at unit economics. The unit is the program, the service. How much revenue does it bring in, if any? And what does it cost you? And we've got this five steps. I've got a great webinar. Um, how, um, in fact, it's right here. It's uh, how to serve more people and raise more money, breaking through the challenges for nonprofits in this brand new world. And mm. it's a five-step program where it says, step one, what is your mission? What are the outcomes that help you further that mission the most? And then evaluate the effectiveness, the, what they call the efficacy, right? Does it help you serve more people? Does it help you create the best outcomes? Does it help you increase the quality of services for your people? You know, the Fort Bend Women's Shelter is one of our case studies, and they have a mission to help break the cycle of homelessness and abuse in women in Houston. And their board used to say, okay, we're, we're, we're good. We got up shelters, 112 beds. They're full every night, so everything is good. But when we went through these five steps, they looked at the mission and they looked at the outcomes that further the mission and said, wait, wait, our mission is not to house the homeless. Our mission is to break the cycle of abuse. Mm. So, so what programs create the most outcomes, the best outcomes? And their program was vocational training, teaching someone how to get that first job so they don't go back to the abuser, so they can go mm. get their own apartment. And so by studying which of the programs are the most effective, create the best outcomes, you now have data to make a data-driven decision, same as you would in a for-profit. Step two is to look at the unit economics of each of those programs. Okay, now you know which programs are the most effective. How much does it cost us? How much does it cost us for the program? And then for each person that we serve, the unit is the person. Mm. How much does it cost us for each service allows you then to go to step three, which is to stack rank those programs and say, okay, which are the most effective per dollar? And then which are the least effective per dollar? and make data-driven decisions about where do you allocate your limited resources. In step four, you just got to get the board and the organization aligned around these priorities, get everybody swimming in the same direction, and then start to get approved for, for approval for a budget. And then just like in a for-profit, measure the actual results against the plan. And then finally, step five is show it to your donors. Show them how you, their contribution will have a tangible result to change the world and you'll get more frequent giving and you'll get higher average gifts.
That was a mini masterclass, Stephen. That was incredible. <laughs> That's our webinar. It's all it's all yeah. on our website. I got, I'm going to have to watch that. And it couldn't be more timely because I actually have a, a, a board tonight at six o'clock uh, for for a board that I'm on for a charity building a, a veterans housing community in Philadelphia. So wow. uh, I, I might have to watch that if I have a, a spare a spare half hour. Yeah, before, please. Before I am happy to, I'm happy to help you. This is this is why yeah. God put me on the earth, right? To help yeah. nonprofits create more outcomes. So I'm happy That's to incredible. help you. That's incredible, brother. Cool. Well, it's so much good information today. What did I miss? What do we want to plug? How can people reach you? So uh, growthforce.com is our website, G-R-O-W-T-H force.com. Um, we've got a podcast, um, Path to Profits at growthforce.com slash podcast. And you can hear lessons learned from growth-driven business leaders. And, and, and growth and profits, not just top line, right? You mentioned something that I just want to re reiterate. You know, top line is ego. Mm. Bottom line is sanity, right? Yeah. So, you know, you, a lot of business owners, they think, okay, I'm, I'm really successful. I'm a $7 million business. And when they go to the trade shows, nobody ever asks you what your net. They ask you how many employees have you got and what's your top line? So right. what, really, what really matters is the bottom line. So. Uh, we've also got the, the five steps nonprofit webinar for anybody who wants that. It's all on growthforce.com. You can email me at Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, at growthforce.com, or I'm on LinkedIn at Stephen King CPAs and uh, Twitter at S King GForce. Awesome. Stephen King, that was a really great interview. I appreciate it. Tons of value. I know that our listeners will get a ton out of today. So thank you so much for being on. I appreciate it. Joe, thanks for having me. Absolutely.